Hello and welcome to All Things Women's Health. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Stroud. board-certified obstetrician, gynecologist, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a small business owner, and I'm a Catholic, among other things. But right now, I'm your host on All Things Women's Health. On this show, we discuss really all things women's health and always from an authentically Christian Catholic perspective. From childbirth to infertility, from pregnancy to menopause, or homeschooling to personal trainers. If it involves women and their health, it's on the agenda for all things women's health. Joining me on this episode is a good friend and colleague of mine, Rhoda Boffman. Now, I've known Rhoda since shortly after returning to Fort Wayne in 2011. I've had the pleasure of sharing in the care of many of her patients over the years. I'll go so far to say that Rhoda has in many ways made me the obstetrician that I am. She has without a doubt made me a better obstetrician uh, than I would have been had I not known her. Uh, Rhoda personally fought a long battle with the state of Indiana to provide a licensure pathway for midwives who don't come at midwifery from a nursing perspective. That is to say, they're not nurse midwives. She spent countless hours at the State House in Indianapolis testifying before committee after committee and finally uh, emerging victorious, and we're all happy for that. It was during some of these battles that I really got to know Rhoda and come to appreciate and respect the passion she has for women's health and for birth in particular. Let's face it. Hospitals are not always nice places to be. This was true before the COVID pandemic. It's even more true now. The idea that otherwise healthy women would go to a hospital to have their baby, it's a relatively new idea in America. Yet, in a fairly short period of time, it's become pervasive in our culture. What are the options available to women and their families when it comes to birth and places of birth. Is home birth a realistic option? How does a woman even go about finding a home birth professional? How does the regulation of home birth professionals vary from state to state? And finally, what about the cost and what part does health insurance play with reimbursing for home birth? Well, get comfortable as we get to know Rhoda Boffman and we get to know a lot more about home birth and birthing options. We'll be right back with all things women's health. Welcome back to All Things Women's Health. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Stroud, and my guest today is home birth professional, owner, and founder of Agape Birth, Rhoda Boffman. Rhoda, welcome to All Things Women's Health. Thanks for having me, Chris. This is I'm looking forward to this. This is going to be a lot of fun. I hope you feel that way at the end. Good. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> well, I will. Let's let's start by sharing, you know, with listeners a little bit about you and a little bit about your journey that led to where you're sitting quite literally now as a home birth professional. Sure. So um, I would start generally by saying I've always had a fascination with all things birth, whether it was animal or person. Um, it was always fascinating to me. It wasn't until 1998, um, I was at a friend's house and she had another friend over who had a brand new baby 
And she was telling me how she had all of her children at home with this person called a midwife. And I immediately wanted to know more about this. Um, I was married in 1995 and we had been talking about starting a family. And Mm. I, in the back of my mind was already trying to figure out how I could have a baby without going to that place in town. Um, It wasn't very appealing to me. Um, but I really didn't know my options. I didn't even think that there was an option outside of hospital birth. Mm. Um, and around here at the time, there wasn't anything outside of a, you know, even a birth center um, at that time. So, so that kind of got the wheels turning. And so um, this friend gave me the name and of her midwife. And so I called her up and I said, you don't know me. And I introduced <laughs> myself and I said, I'm going to do this. What do I do next? And so she gave me a bunch of books to read, told me who I needed to research, where I needed to call. And um, I don't think she expected to hear back from me. Um, (laughs) And I called her back two weeks later and said, okay, I've read all these books and I've contacted so-and-so. What's next? Are you the first in the family to do something medical like this? Do you have other medicals in your other medical professionals in your family? That's a great question. Um, so I have, I'm the first in my family to even attend college. Wow. Um, my father was born and raised Amish. My wow. mother was born and raised conservative Mennonite. Yeah. So um, I didn't even really know that college was even in my language in the future, just <laughs> simply because I really didn't, it, it it was never anything I was encouraged in or anything sure. like that. So wow. that's um, fascinating. So, you know, in medicine, we have this uh, almost, I don't know, infatuation with uh, credentials and initials yeah. and, um, and, and diplomas and such. Um, and a lot of it has to do with the letters that are behind people's names. So let's talk about some of the initials that we might find after birth professionals that are not physicians. You know, physicians are going to be MD or DO, but, you know, there's CNM and CDEM and CPM and CM, and I probably haven't named them all. Uh, I can't say that I understand what all this alphabet soup means, but walk us through what your initials are and what all this stuff means. So my initials are first CPM, which Uh stands for Certified Professional Midwife. Uh And then once I obtained my Indiana license, then I earned the credential CDEM, which is Certified Direct Entry Midwife. Now, is and that an Indiana designation? CDEM? That is an Indiana designation. That is correct. So oh. that's why oftentimes you'll see on my paperwork or my website, CPM, CDEM as well. Now, would so. listeners from other states be more likely to encounter CPM as opposed to CDEM? They would. Yes, absolutely. So what, uh, I think another one that I've heard before, I could be misstating, it was professional midwife, not CPM, but maybe- There's a in, certified midwife, a CM. Maybe that's it, CM. Um, And that too varies from state to state. And I believe if I'm, I could be wrong on this, but I believe those are also, in Europe, they have a lot of CMs or Canada may even have oh, some sure. CMs or things like that. So, so you know, listeners who might be our patients here at the Fertility Midwifery Care Center, they know CNM, Certified mm-hmm. Nurse Midwives. Yeah. Yours is CPM or CDEM. Mm-hmm. Walk us through the basic 
differences in those two professionals, you sure. uh, as opposed to a C and M? Sure. So um, when I began this journey for midwifery, um, I did look into being a CNM and I did look into and then ultimately chose to become a CPM. So the difference between the two is a certified nurse midwife is someone who goes through nursing school. Sure. And then she has to go on to complete her midwifery education once she has her RN um, license or completes her RN. I chose CPM because I wanted to go directly into the midwifery route. I really had no desire to do, you know, ER, oncology, you know, all of that other stuff. I wanted to enter directly in. One could argue all day the benefits and cons to either side. I think a lot of it really is how do you desire to practice once Mm. you have received, you know, what's your end result? What's your goal? How do you want to practice? For me, it has always hands down been CPM and, uh, or I should say home birth, um, yeah. which led me to the CPM process. Would you say both sets of midwives are coming at birth, but the CNMs are coming from a nursing perspective, the CPMs would be coming at it from a non-nursing perspective? Correct. Absolutely. Oh. Yeah. Okay. I think that that makes perfect sense. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit more about your initials and kind of walk us through you know, the path to becoming a licensed midwife uh, that's not a CNM, someone like you, and the state of Indiana, our state, what's that look like? So in the state of Indiana, you have to have a MEEK accredited education. This can be anything from a associate's, a bachelor's. They do offer um, a master's and a PhD as well in MEEK accreditation in midwifery. There are a growing number of these schools, but MEEK stands for uh, Midwifery Education Accreditation Council, Uh and they're based out of Michigan. Um, And so you would enroll in a MEEK accredited school Mm -hmm. um, and graduate. And then alongside while you are doing that, you are working on what's called your NARM, North American Registry of Midwives or your CPM. The CPM or the NARM standard for testing is kind of a national standard, if you would. Um, And so they're the ones that kind of lay out all of the training, the skills, the number of births that we have to attend, um, and then all the other things that go into that. And then the the MEEK and the the NARM or the CPM education, they are kind of done side by side with each other. So by the time you graduate your MEEK, you'll be setting your CPM testing as well. So, so this is all happening in uh, inside the college years, you might that, say. That is correct, yes. The beautiful thing about this concept is that from the very get-go, you are working alongside very experienced midwives. Mm-hmm. So you are seeing birth right from the get-go. You're, the books, all of your schooling is being applied daily as you're working in the clinic or as you're doing birth, Um, which was also a big draw for me. It's just how I learn. Um, I don't do well just reading and taking tests. I need something to apply it as I go. Um, So so a a college program, working and experiencing and really almost apprenticing during college, Mm -hmm. and then what happens uh, at and after graduation? So then once in Indiana, you have those two things, 
you then have to find a physician that will collaborate with you. Uh And this has been or can be a really big obstacle, especially here in Indiana, finding a physician who will collaborate with a home birth midwife. And fortunately, we have you, Dr. Stroud, but... (laughs) um, it really is a struggle for a lot of midwives um, to find that physician that will collaborate with them. Um, now, by, by regulation, does that have to be an obstetrician or can it be any physician? It can be um, a physician that is practicing obstetrics and gynecology. Oh, sure. So it could be a family physician. It could be right, a right. DO. It could be you know something like that, but they have to be practicing. It can't be a chiropractor or anything like that. Okay. Um, sure. And then after that, we have to carry liability insurance, sure. um, which is also another really big obstacle for many home birth midwives. As a home birth midwife, our fees are how we get paid and what the bottom line, you know, how that money comes in is very different than a, a busy um, office. And so, so we'll need the liability insurance. We'll need the CPR and NRP, um, sure. which any provider practicing will have. Yeah. Um, then there's a, another certificate that we have to have called birth emergency skills training, which mm. this training is specific for out of hospital, which most midwives who are already, again, in a busy home birth practice, they're going to be having that. It's something that's taught in the school, but Indiana decided it needed to be something extra. Um <laughs> And then in the state of Indiana, once um, a CPM already did all of her her NARM births or her previous births during her school, mm-hmm. Indiana requires an additional 80 births that are under supervision um, before she can obtain or apply for her licensure. Uh, and this could be another that, obstacle as well. Yeah, the apprenticeship work that happened in school and then a post-graduation apprenticeship right. of 80 births in addition to these other uh, other things. Yeah, that's pretty, uh, that's an impressive uh, amount of work. Now, we're, we're going to, in a minute, talk really about home birth. Um, I mean, I suppose legally, as an obstetrician, I could do home birth, even though I know nothing about it. It wouldn't be such a great idea. But um, as a CPM, are you limited to birth in the home setting, or is that just your preference? In the state of Indiana, I legally cannot operate or work within a birth center simply because um, the birth center law um, does not have my credentials listed in its law. So unless somebody were to go back and add CPM to that then legally I cannot work in a birth center. Sure. Um, now a hospital, absolutely a hospital could hire us. There's mm-hmm. nothing. And that's actually even written in our law that uh-huh. um, hospitals are not required to hire us or to employ us, but it's definitely something that could happen. Yeah. So. Is, it, is it fair to say um, that, you know, the types of women who are pursuing kind of the non-nursing based midwifery, they probably have, just an inherent predilection to out of hospital birth. Um, I would agree with, I would agree with that. Yes. Sure. Okay. Well, I mean, let's change gears a bit and talk about the families that, that you, you know, take care of who chooses home birth and why do they make that choice? That's a really great question. And I get asked that a lot. And a lot of people, (laughs) 
just assume that I'm serving the Amish in our community um, or the Mennonites in our community. And actually in my practice, they are a very small number of that make up the percentage of people that I serve. In general, in my practice, we are serving nurses, we're serving chiropractors, we're serving college professors, we're serving my, you know, the software people. So in my practice, I'm serving anywhere from upper to middle class, even lower um, uh, income population groups. Sure. Um, I do have the ability to occasionally, um, you know, work with those families. There's some great organizations out there that help with families um, in that regard as well. So, I mean, so. it, it sounds like you really take care of families across the spectrum uh, yes. mm-hmm. you know, of society. Now, is the decision to have a baby outside of the hospital, is that decision process the same for first-time moms as it is for moms who've had several children? In my practice, it is. I do know some colleagues who prefer not to take any first-time patients or first-time moms. But in my practice, as long as you meet those low-risk requirements, whether you're first or number six, um, it doesn't really um, impact my decision um, to take you on as a patient. Now, are there are there listeners who should not consider a home birth? Um, that's who, a, speak that's speak a really, to that group. <laughs> that's a really good question as well. And I guess first I'm going to preface to say that there are a lot of Facebook groups that talk about, um, you know, women who've made, had home births that, you know, were uneventful, um, without issue. Mm-hmm. And, and I know colleagues across the state, some who work more with high risk population groups and things like that. So I do think when it comes to um, Indiana in particular, the big thing is, is collaboration with your physician and some physicians put limits. So some physicians will say no VBACs. Some physicians will say no BMIs over this. Um, Some physicians will put caps on number of children, uh, previous pregnancies. Um, So it really, the scope of what a midwife can care for in a out of hospital birth experience can really vary depending upon in Indiana, her physician, and that patient's access to testing and things like that for monitoring um, throughout the pregnancy. So, sure. yes. It's been, it's been my experience in the years that it seems like there's a group of people who who might be running from hospital birth. And then there's another group of people that might be running towards home birth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then maybe there's a third group that's, that's neither of those. In your experience, how do you see the numbers in those groups? How many people do you see that they just really want a birth in the home versus they just really don't want a birth in the hospital? Yes, the hospital tends to be the big issue. <laughs> I also, <laughs> and I, I say that um, because we get asked the questions, you know, can I have delayed cord clamping? Can mm. I hold my baby right away? Does my baby have to be bathed? Um Can I eat during labor? Do I have to have an IV? Do I have to have, you know, X, Y, and Z? And a lot of those things that women, those questions that women are asking me are things that um, were, that they experienced in their previous births that maybe weren't even medically needed or necessary, um, but they were just done because it was um, medical 
or the policy of the hospital, I should say. The biggest one that we get is the complaint in the immediate postpartum um, from hospital stays. Um, Moms reportedly, you know, someone was coming in my room every two hours and they would wake me, they would wake my baby. Um, I couldn't sleep with my baby in the bed or I couldn't, you know, that is by far the biggest complaint from people who are leaving the hospital and finding something different is they're looking just for how they're treated, how long they have to stay, how long, Mm -hmm. you know, they just, they want something different. Now, as far as if they're coming towards home birth, the drive, and we saw this in, in 2020, the pandemic, um, just people were leaving the hospital by droves um, and were moving to home birth. Um, It was a really crazy time in my practice and a really (laughs) busy time. And ultimately, as long as, you know, we went through our risk assessments and as long as they had received prenatal care, you know, we said yes. And those families did a beautiful job at home. Yeah. Rhoda, give uh, listeners a sense, you know, nationally, what kind of numbers are we talking about? The percentage of in-hospital versus out-of-hospital birth, just, just uh, you know, as a sense of that. So it's a very small percentage. Yeah. Um, in 2019, um, and I pulled this from the CDC website, um, it was 1.03%. Okay. Um, that deliver at home and it rose to uh, 1.26 in 2020. Oh. And I do question that because it does seem like there was a higher percentage of people during that time moving to home birth. And I don't know, I, I know it was not only for my, my practice, but for that of my colleagues as well. Sure. Um, so I, I have a hard time believing that 1.26, but it yeah. very well could be. Now, if you if you had to say and, and compare and contrast, what would you say the the biggest actual differences between a home birth and a hospital birth are? Well, one well, if you're just comparing hospital birth, birth to birth, um, so ideally women are coming you know into the hospital and they're going through this whole process, um, and again, depending upon provider. Um, you know, IV started, there's bright lights, there's people coming in that they don't know. Um, there doesn't seem to be much of in the way of patients waiting on, um, you know, the contractions to pick up. There's Mm. a push for, um, Pitocin, there's a push for the epidural, there's all of these things. Um, at home, that process can take as long as it needs to take, as long as mom and baby are doing well. So, um, but ideally, you know, home birth is you're in your own space. Mm -hmm. Um, I hear from dads all the time, you know, dads say in the hospital, I felt like a spectator and at home I'm in my space and I'm part of this process. And, um, you know, for moms, they're, they're loving just being, having their own bed, having their own pillows, having their, their cat next to them or, you know, whatever, (laughs) um, And, you know, there's no push to have to deliver in the bed or even in the pool. Uh, I mean, I catch babies all the time on the toilet. I catch them in the shower. I catch them in the middle of the living room floor. Um, You know, I've, 
some of my favorite stories are babies in a, on a hot summer day, mom and dad went for a walk through the orchard and I hear hollering and um, <laughs> she's down on, on her hands and knees in the middle of the orchard. And I go running out there and, you know, we had a baby in the orchard, you know, and um, those are just some of the sure. great stories and experiences. You know, you know, when I'm, I when I'm talking years. to people about birth center birth, which is, you know, what I would be doing, you know, I try to always say, you know, a birth center birth is, it's a home birth at somebody else's house. Mm -hmm. And that's an important distinction because like you're pointing out, it's not your own space. Now it's not a hospital space at a birth center, mm -hmm. but it's not your own space. Uh, and so I would imagine people that choose home birth, they, f they feel pretty motivated to be in their own space. Mm -hmm. For most, that's that's just the most important aspect. And a lot of them, you know, during the pandemic, there's, and even now, I mean, maybe you could attest to this, but there's limits on people who, you know, could be there, could they oh, have true. their children there and things like that. Absolutely. Um, with yeah. at home, I mean, grandparents and siblings and, and whatnot are often involved in that birth process or not, or you can have a mom say, everybody has to leave and, you know, right. I want no one here, but yes. Now, what would you say uh, would surprise our listeners most about home birth or, or maybe a better way to say that is, what are the what are the top three myths uh, of home birth that you think you could bust for us? So about six years ago, I had a patient who was having her last baby and she wanted a home birth and her husband was not on board with this. And <laughs> he um, reluctantly was driving out to the office together and he told her, he said, if I walk into that office and there's burning incense and she's in Birkenstocks and a broomstick skirt and dreadlocks, I am walking out of there. <laughs> and uh, he always told the story that as he, you know, walked in and darn, there's no burning incense. And then as he came around the corner and we met and he says, you're a normal person, you know, he says, then I realized I had to actually sit here and listen to this, you know? Um, <laughs> So, but I do think there are myths like that. They do think midwives, and there are midwives out there with dreadlocks and Birkenstocks and broomsticks <laughs> who are highly to qualified. Fair, yeah. So to be fair, I don't want to, yes. But um, I just think there's myths that we assume that home birth is only for a select people group, whether that's the Amish, the Mennonite, the hippies, sure. the crunchy people. Mm. Um, and then the other one is... Um, I had a grandmother one time who literally thought all I brought with me was knitting needles and yarn. And I was just going to sit on the couch and just watch this unfold. Uh -huh. um, there is a large amount of, it looks like we're moving in for the weekend when we come for a birth. There's always a resuscitation area set up. Um, we have our meds laid out. We have all of our instruments there. It's, it's not just hot water and, you know, biting a cloth through the pain, you know, <laughs> like you see in the movies or, or things like that. Um, we work at Agape in a group of three. So generally there's two midwives and a birth assistant or one midwife and two birth assistants. Mm. So there's a lot of moving parts that go into this. And mm. when mom is moving, and that's what a lot of people don't realize too, is we move where mom goes, right? Mm. So there's no, like, we're all set up in the, in the room. This is where it has to happen. We flow with mom. So whether that's outside or inside, 
But um, the other myth is no diagnostic testing or screening uh, throughout pregnancy. Sure. Um, that's not, I'm, we are doing all the tests, offering all the tests. There's a lot of things we offer that some people decline, um, but um, lab work, ultrasound, um, screenings, yeah. um, all of that is done and offered throughout the course of care. Yeah, I would venture to say, based on what I know about you and your practice, that prenatal care with you looks just like prenatal care with me mm. uh, or, or any other professional. But but I would agree. I think that's probably a surprise maybe mm-hmm. uh, to some people. Mm-hmm. Well, let's move to what I would call a dad topic, mm-hmm. um, and that is safety. You know, we dads, we're kind of programmed to take care of things. That's, mm-hmm. how, we're, that's how we're made. And so safety is going to be a big concern. Most listeners could think of a TV show or maybe even a, their own experience where there was a birth-related emergency that happened uh, in the hospital. And they're thinking, oh, my word, if that had happened in the home, you know, you know bad things mm-hmm. could have happened. Mm-hmm. Explain to us how it is that you can be safe in a non-hospital setting. Sure. Well, I would venture to say those emergencies that happen, first of all, in the hospital often happen because they were caused by something that w- else that was being done, right? You mean we professionals make things worse. <laughs> Oftentimes that is yeah. the case. Um, so when people do talk about, you know, they started Pitocin and then the baby started having D cells, yeah. you can't equate that to, you know, birth at home because we're not running Pitocin at home to augment labor. We're not giving epidurals at home. Um, and so we just don't see those emergencies related to those things in, in the home birth practice because of that. Now, our number one emergency that we see at home is hemorrhage. Uh-huh. Um, and for that, I mean, we carry meds just like you would receive in the hospital. Um, and then our second, probably most common would be shoulder dystocia that we would see um, at home and or having to manually remove placenta. Um, And so those would be kind of our top three that we would see more commonly. Um, Now at Agape, we do for all the families that are birthing with us for the first time, we teach or go over what we call complications and emergencies class. And Mm -hmm. this is required for families Um, It is very important um, at Agape that we, um, that we prepare you for the what ifs of labor and birth. Now we Mm. can't go over every single thing that possibly could happen, but we go through and we pick those top complications and or emergencies. And then we talk about how are we going to manage these at home? What do those look like at home? And how do we know when we need to go in? Um, you know, the biggest thing I think people think without a hospital is delay getting to the hospital. And I don't remember, I don't know if you remember this story, um, Chris, but I had a patient in, um, in a different County and we showed up for a home visit and Mm -hmm. we were doing a routine prenatal and we went back to listen to fetal heart rate and we had heart rate that was in the Mm sixties. And so quickly, I called you, told you what we were coming in with. And um, in transit, we faxed the patient's charts right to the labor and delivery um, room or floor there. And from the time we walked in the front door to that baby was out was 10 minutes. Oh, my goodness. I do remember that. It was a really fast but beautiful example 
of how collaboration creates safety yeah. in home birth in particular. You know, um, it's interesting. I, I think that's fascinating. And uh, I spent a little bit of time reading about home birth and how it works in Canada, our, our neighbors to the north. And they are generally much more integrated, the home birth professionals are, into the mm-hmm. hospital health system than places are in America. Now, mm-hmm. you know, in, in our community, you and I are very integrated. So when you call and say it's an emergency, there's not a lot of built-in obstacles and delays. Mm-hmm. Sadly, that's not true uh, everywhere. But but I think that's probably a key uh, to home birth safety is w- when there is an emergency, you don't want to have to explain yourself and go Absolutely. through a bunch of bureau- bureaucratic nightmares Absolutely. to get your patient cared for. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah, I do remember that case. That that was a good one. It's fun to see things work like they're you know supposed to work. Mm-hmm. Well, well, let's say there's a listener out there who's thinking, now this this is something I I think this is for me. I want to have my baby at home. How does she even begin the process to find a, a home birth professional? So um, in Indiana. Um, many, well, you can go to the Indiana Midwives Association website and there's a contact person there and you can reach out to them and then they can give you names, um, and contact information from there. Mm -hmm. Um, I know for myself with Agape, um, I have a website, um, I'm easily searchable by Google. And so just typing in, going and doing a search, you know, home birth, midwife, water birth, home birth. Um, That usually brings up those um, midwives serving your area um, or surrounding area. And then Um, how would you, how would you advise that woman on what to look for um, in a home birth professional? It's a great question. Um, I would start off by saying, um, you know, choosing somebody because they're the only option may not be a good option. (laughs) So, um, but ask your hard questions. If education and licensure is important to you, ask those questions of her, you know, um, ask her experience um, and what kind of, what's her experience with certain emergencies or complications. You know, I've been doing this for 20 plus years and, you know, um, that long in practice, you see things, sure. <laughs> a lot of things. And so, so, you know, what's important to you in birth? Those are good conversations to have with a midwife. Everybody has a different approach to midwifery, certain things that they like to do or don't do, things that they like to avoid. Um, but um, in Indiana, fortunately, we have a growing number of midwives and mm. options. Um it's getting there where we have more sure. access. Now, when I'm not uh, playing a doctor on TV, I'm, uh, I'm, also, <laughs> I'm also a husband. So at the risk of sounding like a husband, let's talk about money and cost. Mm-hmm. So um, what, what are the issues to consider uh, related to cost for a home birth? So this is a big one as well. And this is where, um, if you would, it kind of separates those who would want and those who can. So in Indiana in particular, you're going to, I'm not aware of any home birth midwife that has a collaboration or who works with a insurance company. Sure. And the reason being is that they pay so little 
for what we actually do that it wouldn't it's not worth it for us um we wouldn't be able to make a livelihood doing that sure. now we can definitely bill things through your insurance as far as um your labs ultrasound those types of things can mm-hmm. definitely be run through your insurance um some of us agape is one of them work with independent billers who um, we do submissions throughout the course of care. um, And they themselves work with the insurance companies and do the billing as far as that goes. And I do have a good number of families who do get reimbursement um, from their insurance for for home birth, but not everyone. So to Um, be clear, the home birth professional is going to bill the patient. The patient's going to pay that and then take a receipt, so to speak, and then try to get reimbursement after the fact from the insurance yes. company. Right? Yes, that is correct. Sure. And so, you know, give listeners just a very broad sense, you know, maybe in Indiana based on your experience, what what are some what are costs that should be expected if someone is interested in home birth? So, it depends upon where you're at in Indiana. Um, mm. on average, home birth in Indiana is going to cost you probably anywhere from $35 to $5,500. And that's going to include your prenatal care, your birth, and your postpartum care for you and baby. Mm-hmm. Um, midwives structure it all differently on how payment plans are made. Um, I try really hard to work with families. So I, um, I have a set payment plan if people are making payments. But again, what I tell families is that I want to be able to work with you. So yeah. you know, come back to me with your budget, what you can do, and then we can move on from there. And but in fairness, you're talking about the total fee. Yes, uh, that is correct. Because there's no facility fee, because there's no facility, it's your home. Correct. Um, and just for perspective, um, that is an absolute fraction of what it would cost to have a baby in a hospital. Correct, uh, yes. For just the hospital part, not the professional part. You know, mm-hmm. a hospital birth... Um, if everything goes very, very smoothly, it would it would not be a stretch at all to think that's going to be fifteen or twenty thousand dollars just for the hospital part. Now, in fairness, again, the insurance companies might might pay that, but still, if we're trying to do a dollar for dollar comparison, um, a home birth would be a fraction of the cost of a hospital. Correct. And I do, you know, the other thing, like with Agape, our prenatals, you know. Um, they're scheduled 30 to 60 minutes per prenatal. Um, and I have a colleague that I work with, um, Lauren, as well. And so as you move through your pregnancy, you're guaranteed to either have both of us or one of us at your birth. And so um, even if we move into the hospital, one of us is going to be there with you mm-hmm. during that process. So- if a woman was you know, planning to have a home birth and then for some reason she needed to be transferred to the hospital... Mm-hmm. Would the insurance company typically then cover the hospital charges that came as a result of that? Absolutely. Yes. I have not had anybody not have uh, their care covered within the hospital. Yeah. I think that's probably important uh, to, you know, to point out to listeners, just because you started in the home, if something went wrong and you had to transfer Mm -hmm. to a different level of care, insurance is going to kick in uh, and cover that. I mean, I think I know the answer, but what would you say are the greatest obstacles to a family that wants home birth? Um, well, one, I would say finances that tends to be an issue. You know, 
I do, it does, it's not lost on me that, you know, 3,500 to 5,500, you know, dollars, that's a lot of money for a lot of families. Um, and especially if they need to, you know, if they're paying that all out of pocket or, or whatnot. Um, the other is, um, I would say obstacles is a disappointing or disagreeing family member. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, I have had many grandmothers who have made it very clear that if they chose to have a home birth, they weren't going to, you know, support them in the postpartum or, sure. you know, things like that. So, um, and I've had many grandmothers in my office ask really hard questions of me. Mm. Um, and um, some of them very confrontational just because they're very unsure. Um but I've never had a grandmother go through the experience and say, this was a bad idea. They always at the end say, you know, I wish I would have done this, you know? Wow. So, well, yeah. Rhoda, this seems like a good time. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to be joined by a patient of yours, Mallory, who is going to give us a real sense of what it's like to have a baby at home uh, and a baby in the hospital. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with all things women's health. Welcome back to All Things Women's Health. And now we've got a special guest on this episode. Joining our conversation is Mallory and Caleb. Uh, they've actually delivered their baby in their home uh, with Rhoda. So Rhoda, give us a little bit of an introduction uh, to this couple. Sure. Um, so Mallory and Caleb came to Agape with their second pregnancy. Um, they were, I, I believe, introduced to the idea of home birth from a previous patient of, um, of mine as well, who is a friend of theirs. And so um, they came into the office and um, I call them meet and greets. So this is like an hour long conversation that we have in the office where we just get to discuss the practice um, and um, get to answer any questions they have about how it works and, and what it looks like. So um, they had a beautiful home birth with their second, and then they came back and had their third with us as well. Nice. So. Well, that, that's excellent. So Caleb and Mallory, you know, give listeners a sense of what, what, what attracted you to home birth? Um, we really started doing some research when we got pregnant um, that was broad, broad research on pregnancy and on birth and um, worldwide and then um, throughout history. And what I was coming to over and over again was that having a midwife was much more common than not having a midwife mm -hmm. and that um, doing birth happened all over the place. That wasn't the hospital uh previous to a certain era and then that just became a social norm that that hospital births were more regular than home births but st still globally what i was seeing was that much more people were having um using midwives and having a really great success rate as far as having the baby but also the infant mortality rate was really great Sure. And so I, I kind of started talking to Mallory about like, should we be looking at this? <laughs> uh, and now, Mallory, when you when you told you know your friends <laughs> thinking about having this baby at home, uh, did they have a funny reaction or what was their reaction? Um, 
Yes. Um, <laughs> why? <laughs> why? What? Sure. What's wrong with the hospital? Um, um, why would you ever do things differently than what our parents did? Or wow. wow, interesting. Now, so as Rhoda said in the introduction, you've had two babies at home. You've had a baby in the hospital. You know, speaking to our listeners who have never had a baby in either place compare and contrast a little bit the differences between your home birth experience and your hospital experience. Sure. Um, we were lucky enough to have um, pretty good experiences with all three. Um, so we went with uh, a hospital birth for our first. Um, when, when Caleb started researching home birth, I, I did look into it some, but we, we hadn't decided on it firmly with our first, so we did go with a hospital birth, and we enjoyed our OB um, for the prenatal visits, but they were short. Um, she was very, very kind, but um, it wasn't as uh, in-depth as far as mm. uh, getting to know each other. And so when uh, we delivered, everything, I mean, I... I I can't complain, but when I compare it to my next two births, uh, we just couldn't go back. You know, if you had to say, if you had to pick one thing that was the biggest difference between your birth and the two settings, what do you, what do you think that thing would be? Go ahead. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was saying, I was thinking comfort. Yeah. The the hospital is kind of a foreign environment. Um, There's, you go there when you're extremely sick or when things are going really wrong and to be in your house, like it's a, it's such a normal environment for you that um, I just didn't feel any angst at all about that part of it. Yes. Much less stressful. Uh, Yeah. That's interesting. Well, you know, and, and the time that we have left, if, if there's a listener thinking about, gosh, they seem like a normal couple, maybe, maybe I should have my baby at home. Uh, What would you advise them to do first? Sit down together, come up with a list of questions that you would want to ask and find a person, if you can, who has had a home birth experience um, and also find a midwife that you can uh, ask your questions to because they are, um, I've I've never talked to someone who had a home birth that didn't have a beautiful story and wasn't very inspiring. Um, Yeah, and we felt the same way about uh, finding midwives that do home births it's very rare to find one that isn't called to it. Like that yeah. isn't, it's, it's a huge part of their life and a part of their story. Mm-hmm. And when you get to know uh, those individuals, it's amazing. And, mm-hmm. and the contrast is, is so great. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, we can't thank you enough for sharing your, your successful home birth story with us. Thank you for opening up and sharing that and, and good luck to you. I hope there's many, many more uh, successful home births <laughs> in your future. Thanks for joining us on All Things Women's Health. Thank you. Thank you. Rhoda, that's fascinating listening to them. They certainly, um, they certainly said many of the things that you said that uh, that people notice about the differences between home birth and hospital birth. Now, I happen to know, Rhoda, you've been doing this a long time, and I know it's hard work and sometimes thankless, but what keeps you going? Why do you do this? Um, I have daughters, <laughs> and um, I do this because 
women need options. Um, I was so grateful and thankful for the midwives in my life that came aside, you know, beside me during my pre pregnancies and my deliveries and stood there with me for the hours. I always had long labors and, mm. um, but, um, I have daughters and, and I want them to know this is normal. I want mm. them to have a healthy view of pregnancy and of childbirth. Mm. And, um, as part of the reason too, why, you know, we, um, we train new midwives, um, because our daughters and their daughters are going to need midwives and, um, not everyone is going to want to deliver, like I said, in the building in town, right? You know, sure. but, um, you know, I have seen my, my drive, my passion for things have changed through the years. They've morphed that type of thing. I've been, like I said, been doing this for a long time now, a good couple thousand babies <laughs> and, um, um, I'm finding myself wanting to slow down a little more. I'm really thankful for my colleague, Lauren, as well. Um, and you're right. There was a lot of time where um, I missed birthdays and I missed Christmas and I missed Easter. And I would be, you know, I, there wasn't, you know, my kids didn't have a mom who went on field trips or, you know, <laughs> things like that because I just wasn't there. Right. It, it was, I couldn't leave and be tied up in that. And um but anyways, um, my daughters, my daughters are the reason mm -hmm. why I do this and your daughters and all the other daughters out there that mm -hmm. want something different. Well, I happen to know that your daughters have a pretty amazing mom. Um, <laughs> and thanks for sharing your amazing story with us and, and helping us understand a little bit more uh, about home birth. We hope to have you back soon and talk about more exciting women's health topics. Well, Rhoda, thanks thank for having me, Chris. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this discussion about home birth with my friend and colleague, Rhoda Boffman. Uh, is home birth right for you? Uh, I don't know, but I know someone that can help you figure that out, and that's Rhoda Boffman. Uh, if you want to know more about home birth, get in touch with Rhoda, uh, agapebirthservices.com, and agape is A-G-A-P-E. If you want to contact me directly, you can email me at Dr. Stroud, that's D-R. S-T-R-O-U-D uh, at fertilityandmidwifery.com. I'd be happy to put you in touch um, with home birth professionals that can help you figure out um, if this birthing option is right for you. As always, thank you for joining me here on All Things Women's Health. I hope you'll like and subscribe, and I hope you'll plan on joining me regularly. Thanks again for joining us on All Things Women's Health. <music>